The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Usual wines are wines for the modern drinker. Each bottle is 6.3 ounces, which is a heavy pour or about a glass and a half of wine. So no more pouring wine down the sink when you don't want to finish the bottle. Because of the single-serve format and bottle design, Usual is always fresh, so no more flat bubbly or stale rosé. Usual wines are made from world-class AVAs in California, like Napa, Sonoma, and Santa Barbara, and are made with minimal intervention, zero sugar, and zero additives. The wines are low-carb and have zero grams of sugar. Usual has a red blend, a rosé, and a sparkling white wine called Brut. They also have limited production Brut Rosé just for the summer. More on no sugar. Did you know that in the U.S. there are over 60 additives allowed by law to be used in winemaking? Usual doesn't use any chemical or sugar additives to enhance the flavor or stability of their wine. They are truly a clean wine brand. But don't grapes contain sugar, you ask? Yes, of course, absolutely. To clarify, all usual wines are produced using natural, sustainable grapes harvested every fall. These grapes are picked at optimal ripeness to ensure all sugar will be fermented completely until the wines are dry with no residual sugar. All that is left is delicious, clean wine. The process of fermentation happens when natural yeasts eat the naturally occurring sugar in the grapes. In goes sugar, out comes alcohol. Some winemakers will purposely end fermentation early to keep a little sugar in the wine, but usual wines are fermented until no more sugars are left. This ensures the wines are as dry as possible and lower in calories. Go check out their wines at www.usualwines.com and use my discount code BEST for $8 off your first order and try the first glass on us. Cheers. Hi, this is Pia Baranchini, and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Hello, my darlings. Dr. Aviva Ram grew up in a housing project in Flushing, Queens. She was given a scholarship and admitted to college by the time she was just 15, where she studied pre-medicine. 
Her journey took a more natural road, however, and by the time she was 22, Aviva was a practicing midwife, busily attending births while starting her own family. She spent the next 25 years as a midwife and herbalist, taking care of and learning from pregnant and birthing women from every walk of life. She wrote seven books based on this knowledge, and that's how she became a leader in the field of natural medicine for women and children. Once her kids were old enough, Aviva went back to school, this time to the Yale School of Medicine, so she could combine her less than conventional background with her love of science. This woman is a powerhouse and a joy. For legal reasons, we summarized your questions and gave general answers, which you hopefully find extremely helpful. Please enjoy. Well, thank you, Aviva, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really nice to connect with you. I'm honored. I just love to ride the line between medical and woo-woo. And I feel Uh like you're that girl. (laughs) You know what? I was out to dinner with a friend one night and she said, I was talking to her about this thing that happens when um, women get pregnant and there's this like, what's called in obstetrics, the window of opportunity. Mm. And she was like, that's so cool that you get to do that work. And there's this window of opportunity. And my mind works fast with words and word puzzles. And I was like, window of opportunity. That is woo. And I was like, (laughs) I am the woo doctor. Oh, that's so funny that I said that then. There you go. I love that. Um, You have a very interesting life story. Do you want to give like a quick summary, let everybody (laughs) give a little background before we jump into these questions? Sure. I grew up in New York City in housing project, actually, with a single mom um, in the 60s and 70s. I went to college when I was 15 because I was kind of geeky and wanted to be a doctor. And it was also a really great way to get out of my housing project. College is a great solution for that. You, and so you so finished high school at 15? I actually skipped high school. I went from Bronx High School of Science as a freshman to Simon's Rock is, which is part of Bard College. Amazing. And within three months, I had dreadlocks (laughs) and was studying to be a home birth midwife and an herbalist. And I went to college for a year. I was actually one of the youngest people in the school. And then my love of midwifery pulled me to Boston, where I found this incredible midwife who um, was willing to take me on and teach me. So by the time I was 20, I was a fully practicing home birth midwife and the herbal medicine kind of grew up along with that. And during those years, I had my kids, wrote a bunch of books on natural pregnancy Mm -hmm. before it was fun and cool to talk about. So they were very (laughs) like small books that are now kind of cult classic. And um, ultimately I homeschooled my kids. They were all like natural, organic. I made my own food, my own clothes, all Which that was stuff. so probably weird at the time. It was so weird at the time. I mean, I remember my mom asking me if we were in a cult because we cooked tofu, you know, like <laughs> my mother-in-law would be like, you know, it's vegetarian if you pick the beef out of the stew for the kids. You know, they just were clues. <laughs> it's so funny because my sister-in-law called my husband not too long ago and she's like, so crazy. All that stuff you guys were doing back then is cool now. But they, they did think we were a little, you know, different. Mm-hmm. Um, and now my kids are, my youngest is turning 27. My oldest is 36 this spring. But when they were teens and, tw- well, tweens, like youngest to tweens, 
I decided it was time for me to kind of finish my path that I had started on with going to med school, you know, kind of back to that time, things weren't as cool as they are now and weren't Mm -hmm. as accepted as they are now. It's like, if you were having a home birth, you were really outside of the box. If you questioned your doctor about your child having an ear infection, really needing an antibiotic, they would literally say things like, well, do you want your child to be deaf or die? Mm -hmm. Which is, we know is not true. So for me, the impetus to go to med school was one to change the system as much as I could, but also to be that bridge between the cool people who were like the midwives and stuff Mm -hmm. or the people who sometimes did need to interface with the medical system. And so I went to school when I had four kids and I did my med school at Yale. I did my internship in internal medicine at Yale. And then I did my family medicine residency at Tufts because I wanted to um, focus not just on internal medicine, but also the pediatrics and obstetrics. Mm-hmm. Let's see, I've written a textbook, run a nonprofit organization. <laughs> now my really big thing is just reaching as many women as I can to help them feel really empowered in their bodies, love their bodies, but also believe in what their bodies can do, birth, have healthy hormones, and also be a really non-judgmental resource for when somebody does need something mm-hmm. that is an intervention. How do they make sure they know they're getting the right one? They're um, being treated respectfully. So a lot of advocacy. And now I'm just doing a ton of online training. So much of my work has gone into really, I mean, I still practice, but you know, I see patients one-on-one, but when I do online training, I can reach, you know, a thousand or 10,000 women at a time or more. So that's what I do. For people who don't know, because I'm shocked that a lot of people don't understand. Can you explain the difference between a midwife and a doula? Yes. So the simple difference is that the midwife also handles the actual medical, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, part of things. So the midwife has a certain level of responsibilities and knowledge around what a woman's blood pressure should be and what to do and how to check it. Whereas a doula has a, a very extremely important role also, but it's the support role. So the midwife's job is to not only be supportive, but also to make sure that they're tapping into all the safety. And, and they're usually and nurse parameters. practitioners, correct? Not necessarily. Hmm. So you can have, um, so interestingly in Canada, um, the United Kingdom, a lot of the Western uh, European countries, you actually are something called a direct entry midwife. So you don't become a nurse first. You just go to midwifery school, not just like meaning less than, but that's the pathway. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be trained as a nurse or, or in that kind of pathway. You just go right to midwifery school after college in the U S Um, There's been so much polarization Mm -hmm. against the home birth midwives who enter their pathway largely through apprenticeship, or now there are midwifery schools for direct entry midwives. But when midwifery first was becoming kind of having a renaissance in the US, really in the 80s, late 80s, it was only certified nurse midwives who had gone to nursing school and then had gotten a master's degree in midwifery on top of that. And most of those midwives were completely prohibited from attending home births. They were allowed to work in hospitals and birthing centers only under the auspices of an MD. So there was still a polarization in that the home birth midwives tended to have a little more latitude toward truly more physiologic natural birth. Whereas a lot of the nurse midwives, they were a little bit like hand tied 
to mm-hmm. stick with the guidelines that OBs Which, because um, it's odd, then why even have a midwife? Well, the studies are really compelling that even just having another woman in the room at your birth mm-hmm. really significantly reduces your likelihood of interventions, complications, et cetera. That's like what really, I'm doing. Yeah, it really enhances your likelihood of having a natural birth. And I think the home birth and more direct entry or lame midwifery movement, as midwives were historically called, has so influenced the hospital midwives that there's been, a, I think, much more of a reclamation mm-hmm. of natural amongst a lot of the hospital midwives although they and the birthing center midwives, although they still do have um, a little bit more stringent set of protocols that they have to follow that can be restrictive, but can also be you know helpful and beneficial at times too. Yeah. A doula goes through a certificate training. So you don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to have any formal, um, like going to a university kind of training, you can go to a doula certificate program. Usually you're required to attend a certain amount of births, but the doula um, is really there for the emotional support mm-hmm. and doing all of the thing, offering the birthing person, all of the kind of psychological, emotional, but also physical tools that help keep labor as healthy and natural as possible. So like if you are typically having your baby in the hospital, you would be in a hospital bed. Whereas having a doula, the doula would be like, oh, you know, let's get up, walk around, try a birthing ball. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're having pain, but you're somebody who wanted to have a natural birth, you're in the hospital and you're like, I'm in pain, I'm in pain. The first thing you're going to get offered is the epidural. Mm-hmm. Whereas the doula will say, look, if that's what you want, of course you should have that. It's your choice, right? That's feminism and autonomy at its best. And first, if you really want to keep with your goals to have a natural birth, let's try this and let's try this and let's try this. And she's sort of like a cheerleader and hopefully an advocate too, right? She's the person who would say, let's say the OB comes in the room and says, you know, you've been pushing for two hours and it's time to whatever, do a cesarean. The doula might say something to you like, do you want to talk with me about this first before mm-hmm. you make a decision since it's not an emergency or, you know, do you want to uh, think about that? Or, Hey, maybe you want to ask the OB, like, is there another alternative to that? Mm-hmm. So they're there as an advocate, but not directly intervening to the OB. As a pregnant person and someone who is health conscious, you know that I have been searching for the perfect, healthy prego lady snacks. And I think I have found them. Outstanding Foods creates addictively delicious snacks that are 100% plant-based and packed with protein and nutrition. All of their products are crafted by chef Dave Anderson, who led R&D at Beyond Meat and created the Beyond Burger. All of their products are free of gluten, GMOs, artificial ingredients, trans fats, cholesterol, and soy, and they're certified kosher, certified plant-based, and certified gluten-free. Outstanding Foods has two delicious plant-based snacks. Takeout meal in a bag puffs, the first ever snack you can also have as a meal. Each bag has 21 grams of protein and has the nutrients of a multivitamin. How crazy is that? Which includes iron, calcium, vitamins, B12, T, and E. They come in four delicious flavors, including Hella Hot, Pizza Party, White Cheddar, and my favorite, Chill Ranch. 
For those of you who grew up eating pork rinds, I highly recommend checking out their Pig Out Piglets pork rinds as well. Perfect snacks are great for on the go or watching a game. Notable celebrity investors include Daniela Monet, Snoop Dogg, Rob Dyrdek, just to name a few. Outstanding Foods has a 60-day money-back guarantee, meaning if you don't love it, get your money back. No questions asked. We've worked out an exclusive deal for our Everything is the Best listeners. So receive 25% off your first order when you go to outstandingfoods.com slash best or use code best at checkout to claim the deal. That's O-U-T-S-T-A-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-O-D-S dot com slash best. We all know that... Feeling our best really just starts with what we eat. And Sakara gives you the ability to not just eat healthy, but to truly enjoy it with chef-crafted, plant-rich meals that build a foundation for radiant health. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. The menu of creative, chef-crafted, ready-to-eat breakfasts, lunches, and dinners changes weekly, so you will never get bored. And it's delivered fresh to your door anywhere in the U.S., Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience the transformative power of plants with their best-selling Metabolism Super Powder, which is my personal favorite. It's made with organic raw cacao, and it works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. It also tastes delicious. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, The New York Times, and more. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash best or enter code best at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash best to get 20% off your first order. That's sakara.com slash best. Hi guys, my name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays, subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the birds with Fire on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. I am having a woman who is a midwife and owns a birthing center. It's like doing me a solid and we're going to labor here. She's essentially nice. functioning as a doula. We'll labor, labor here as long as possible and then go to the hospital. And I chose a young female doctor who has also read all the midwifery books. So oh, we perfect. are finding a line down the middle because I, I, and I think a lot of women, a lot of women need this. And if you can afford it, I would say, please like have an advocate there because, and I don't want to undermine doctors by any means, but it is very easy to just load someone up with a bunch of drugs and take this birth on a path that it doesn't necessarily need to go on. 
and you could have more of a full experience if you wanted to with lovely I support agree. there. Yes. I mean, I'm so supportive and non-judgmental about how, however anyone feels like they need to or want to mm-hmm. or end up having their baby. But there are a lot of setups in the hospital that are almost like funneling you more totally. toward an intervention. Um, everything from lack of a you know beautiful space to be in that feels like home and relaxing to constant checking and just it's it's more fear-based so having someone there who is like that touchstone for you mm-hmm. who can remind you of who you are run game a little bit if it needs to be because <laughs> sometimes that happens like you know I was at a birth I have a really good friend a couple of years ago I was just there as her support and doula and she had to pee And when she got up to pee, um, the baby monitor was slipping down. And so it was just picking up her heartbeat, which is like, you know, 80 beats a minute. And the baby should be like 130 beats a minute. And the OB comes running in the room, like a bat out of hell. We need to get an internal monitor on that baby right now. I'm like, whoa. And he happened to be a Yale-trained OB. So this was kind of a a humorous like moment of being her (laughs) friend and the doula, but also playing the doctor card and being like, actually, Mm -hmm. you know, we could just get her back on the bed and replace the monitor and see what <laughs> happens. And that's what we did. And it was fine. But that's the kind of thing a doula or a midwife can kind of calm it down a little. Yeah. And also, you know, also if you do like not you specifically, but if somebody does need an intervention, it's also really nice to know that you had it because you needed it, not because you totally. became a statistic. And that's the other thing Absolutely. is like your, your person can be like, yeah, this is actually a really good time for that whatever, whatever. I feel very empowered by the fact that half my friends are one side and half are the other and I'm finding the middle. And every time I say I would like to try for a natural birth, everyone's like, why? And like, don't you don't need to be a hero. And I'm like, oh, I just want to try is like my knighthood into being a woman. (laughs) It's something that I find. But I'm, but my Elizabeth, who I'm working with said to me, listen, if you're laboring for days and you're not sleeping and you're vomiting from the pain, an epidural is a great option to get back on track to be able to focus on pushing your baby out. And I just thought, what a nice, non-judgmental, yep. helpful, beautiful way to look at this tool. That is just, in my doctor today was like, I can also give you some other medicine that can just like help alleviate the pain. That's not an epidural. because I, I just didn't want I didn't want to get in there and get drugged and not be able to move my legs, which makes me feel like I'm getting high in college off a drug I don't want. You know what I mean? Like I've been working out. I want to push my baby out. So yeah. And it's like, you're making the choice of what's best for Mm -hmm. you, not what you're being bullied into or threatened to or made to feel afraid about. And I think it's a great, I've had many births where, you know, some where we started out at home, but some also where I was working in the hospital as the physician in the hospital where somebody did labor for a long time and we did try everything and she was getting tired. And it's like, who wants to enter being a new mom, exhausted nope. and drained? And we're like, you know, okay, you've been at three centimeters for two days. And mm-hmm. then they get the epidural, they go to sleep for two hours and they wake up eight centimeters. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that so many times. So I'm an advocate of the like appropriately used. I love that. I feel like that's how it should be used. I'm very happy that we can like, explain that because I feel like so many people don't understand the difference between a midwife and a doula and and how you can combine both, essentially. Yep. Um, yeah, you totally can. So I do think it's very important to have an advocate in the hospital. And that advocate is not your, your partner. That's too much pressure. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. Are you finding that your friends are 
supportive or are you finding people judgy? Because it can go both ways. A little bit of both. Like they were, it's very funny. Like the one thing that I've learned about being pregnant and like entering motherhood is that everyone has such a different path and it's just their path. Like I will not get a night nurse. I don't want a night nurse. It's not for me at no point, even if I had disposable income, I'm, it's not something I'm comfortable with. And I have a group of friends that are so confused why that is like, I was like, oh, should I get a snoo? Like, I know the snoo is kind of controversial, but I'm doing some research and make, maybe that's a nice option. Everyone's like, well, you won't need a snoo because you'll have a night nurse. And I was like, I'm not getting a night nurse. And it's, they're like mind blown by that. When I said I wanted to do a home birth, they were very like, something very seriously bad could happen to your child. And there was a couple of people that were pretty judgy about that. We did like a lot of research. My husband's from Italy. The rules are a lot different there. They don't have these concerns. And he has a lot of European friends who've given birth here who were like the hospital. It was like a horrible experience for us. And our home birth was great. And then I know people who the other way around, they tried to give birth at home. Things got very scary. Then they were in a state of panic. Then they went to the hospital. Then they're trying, and then everything becomes very fear-based because they weren't in a hospital to begin with. It's just all so personal. So I did get a lot of judgment about giving birth at home. And I do get a lot of eye rolls about wanting to try to do it naturally. But I think those things trigger people. It's like telling someone who eats meat that you're a vegan. Then they're like, well, I eat meat because I'm O negative and I need meat to survive. You know, you just get defensive. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I I think, you know, as much as I agree, as much as everyone has their own path, when you're pregnant, it's amazing that everybody's so willing to tell you their opinion. Totally. It's like, I always felt like when I was pregnant, I had some kind of flashing sign that everyone else could see that said, feel free to touch my belly <laughs> and feel free to tell me your worst story. <laughs> the, so the, they, the worst story is what the my worst. husband is mind blown about. I got to this point. I had this mentor from when I was 18. She's passed away now, but she's, she was amazing. She was a Shoshone. She was half Shoshone, half Jewish. She grew up with with a grandfather who like read tea leaves and did tarot. And she wrote the first prenatal yoga book in the US in like oh, cool. 1978. She wrote the first herbal. She was a home birth midwife. And I was so, and she was an astrologer too. And she said, when I was really young, she was like, keep your shield spinning. Mm. And it was really beautiful. It was like this idea of like an Amazon like woman with a shield in front of her. And I always imagined it like this translucent is very Wonder Woman, but just kind of like this, this like invisible force field around you that you're allowed to activate when you need to and say to someone, yeah, no, thank you. I really like, we're just going to stop right there. I really don't want to hear that story right now. Or yeah, you know, I really am just not comfortable with COVID. I think it's a little easier. Nobody's going to walk up and touch yes. your belly, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I'm going to use that because my husband's like, you have to politely decline (laughs) being told stories. Cause I'll lay in bed at night and I'm like, I'll look at my boobs and I'll be like, my nipples are going to fall off. And he's like, what? And I'm like, well, apparently like someone told me that like their nipple just like came off and it was hanging here, but then they still defeat the baby. And he's like, who's telling you these things? Like, and that might not be what happens to you. (laughs) Like, He's also like, you have gone through everything in your life like a champion. Like you'll just figure it out and move on to the next thing. I'm like, oh yeah. But I think that's so much of birth and so much of being a parent is we set our sights on what we hope for. Mm -hmm. We do everything that we can to really be healthy and we do everything we can. And then there's a certain amount of surrender. You don't get to pick who you get. You don't get to Mm -hmm. pick like 
is it the baby that sleeps all night or the baby that is colic, right? It's like, we do our best and then we adapt. And I think that's what the beauty of labor is and the beauty of birth is. And it doesn't really mean going within and not being swayed by what everyone else wants. Even with birth, I always found that with people who really could choose more intentionally where they wanted to birth, they had a better birth there. So like somebody was kind of felt pressured or swayed to have a home birth because it was the cool thing to do, mm-hmm. but they really weren't feeling it. They, they would often end up in the hospital. Like something would come up. It's like just better to pick where you feel intrinsically comfortable. Mm-hmm. I like the combo of being here as long as possible and like laboring in my shower and having my dog's hair and being in my bed, you know, like my dad died in this room. I was conceived in this room. My baby was conceived in this room. I'm going to labor in this room. It makes me emotional. I love that. And then I can go to a hospital and be safe and not have to be nervous about that and just get in there and be like, ah, my team is here and I'm supported and like all of that is good. And I Sounds don't think like you feel really good about your choice. It's I really feel beautiful. so good. And what I have noticed, like, is what you're saying is the most true thing that I've learned during my pregnancy. I, I got pregnant after trying for a year and a half and having a miscarriage or two. And then I stopped trying and she came. And then I wanted a boy so bad. And then it was a girl. And then I wanted a baby that was going to be like a Pisces because it was a match. And then I got a Gemini. Like, And I was like, oh, here it is. Here's the beginning of me not being in control and having Mm -hmm. to navigate life with grace and ease because what happens when she's like 12 and wants to dye her hair purple? You know, it's like never going to end. Or what if she like wants to move away somewhere or like sneak out? And, you know, there's whole, it's it's not just birth and then she's here and all these things are going to go a certain way. It's the realization that another human being is coming here and I am not in control of her at all forever. I love that. So you, I love it too. And wait, so did, are you living back at home during COVID? Well, I'm I'm buying the house from my mom and she's staying here with us. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. My room is her room. Oh, <laughs> so That's I have a photo so of my mom cute. pregnant with me, like putting the wallpaper up in there. And like next week we like put up this stuff and I'm like, this oh. is very special. Yeah. This must be huge for your mom too. What a like return for her. It's a huge return for her. And she's very, we're very aligned. So I, f- I don't feel, you know, how like I, I've noticed a lot of my friends are like, oh, my mom does this this way. And like, I don't need my mom doing that because I can, like, I feel very, my husband as well, we're very aligned with her in our protocols and our reactions to things and what we think is appropriate and not appropriate. And so I'm very comfortable. I feel like there, it's not going to create any tension. Like, I don't want her to do that. Like, I feel like my mom will be like, uh, you missed that. I'll be like, oh yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I feel like we're a team. That's incredible. We've lost so much of that intergenerationality. And mm-hmm. I think especially with COVID now, some people are reclaiming it and then some people are even more disenfranchised so that you have that support after birth built in is beautiful. Beekeepers Naturals is disrupting the conventional medicine cabinet by creating nature-powered medicine that actually works. My friends at Beekeepers Naturals use a very special potent natural ingredient called propolis. And if you haven't heard about it yet, it's time to hear what the buzz is all about. Bee propolis acts as the medicine of the beehive. It fights germs and protects the bees with over 300 beneficial vitamins and minerals. 
So guess what? It's just as beneficial to human beings as it is to our favorite pollinators. Take bee immune propolis throat spray as a daily ritual to support your immune system or spray it to smooth a scratchy, uncomfortable throat. I bring it with me basically on every trip so I don't get sick, and I use it a lot before I record these podcasts. For a limited time, Beekeepers Naturals is offering my listeners an exclusive deal. They will ship you a free two-week supply of Bee Immune Propolis Throat Spray. You just pay $5 for shipping. To claim the deal, you must visit beekeepersnaturals.com best. This deal is not available on their regular website, so be sure to go to beekeepersnaturals.com best. This deal is only good for March and April. So start prioritizing your immune health today. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5. No questions asked. You can also find Beekeepers Naturals nationwide in over 2,000 stores, including Target, Whole Foods, and Sprouts. Well, this is a conversation that occurred the other day with someone. I think it was my midwife. We were just talking about birth and community. And she said, we're so isolated from one another now. You didn't there was never like a night nurse before because like you had like a mother living with you or you had like a neighbor who helped you or like a sibling living in the home. There was always help because children were, it was a community, you know, it was like a village was helping you raise the child. And now we're just so isolated in our homes. And so I was like, I really like the fact that there's a community around us. I had the really good fortune. People say like, oh, you've got all these accomplishments. And I think my favorite thing in my life is that I got to midwife my grandkids at home. No. And so the oldest grandchild is nine and is like my person. And I remember when we went out, we went out to um, lunch or something one time when Ari, who's nine now, was two. And Ari, they, he, Ari calls me Biba instead of Aviva. It was Cute, yeah. Biba. Yeah, so the, both kids call me Biba. And Ari was like, I want to sit next to Biba. And then it, when we got home, I want to sit next to Biba. I want Biba to hold me. I want Biba to put me to bed. And I said to my daughter-in-law, I'm like, look, please know that I will never try to like one up you, mm-hmm. take your place. And Sylvia, my daughter-in-law, she's like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, I've got someone else who this kid wants to sit in their lap at a meal and I get to eat or like someone who this kid wants to spend the night with. So I get to sleep alone with my husband. I'm like, oh, it's really, really cool. Yeah, I think also, I think this hopefully is like a return to home movement for lots of people because I think especially I lost my dad three years ago. My husband lost his mom two years ago and we just immediately went like, okay, we need to just enjoy the time that we have with whoever is left as much as possible. His family's in Italy and we've been separated from them for so long, but it was definitely mm-hmm. like, we're never going to, we're, we're not, we're, we'll have regrets the other way around. I will never regret spending too much time with my mother. I will regret it the other way around. Well, special. I'm yeah. so excited for you. Thank you. <laughs> I also work full time. So happy to, yeah. <laughs> happy to have the help. <laughs> okay, I'd love to get into a couple of these questions because yeah, yeah. I feel like they're a lot of questions. So I want to preface this by what we were talking about earlier, which is this is not medical advice. Um, we're making these very general. Um, and the first question, we got a few of these and actually a girlfriend of mine is going through this now, which is if you're on some sort of anti-anxiety, antidepressant, and you're thinking about getting pregnant or you find out you're pregnant, what's kind of your or the protocol there? 
Yeah. So it depends on what the medication is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's an anti-anxiety medication, like the benzos and stuff, those you wouldn't be able to stay on during pregnancy, but a lot of people are on antidepressants, like an SSRI mm-hmm. for anxiety and depression. Okay. So the bottom line is that if you just feel better on your antidepressant and you get pregnant, it is actually better to stay on the antidepressant than go off of it and then have to like figure out how you feel and mm-hmm. then be sad and unhappy during pregnancy and then have to restart your dose because a lot of people, when they start an antidepressant, it takes six or eight weeks to get totally. up to a level anyway. So it really depends on the medication. And there are a couple, I would say Zoloft is probably the one that has the best studies for pregnancy, but your, you know, your OB or your midwife will know if you're on one that you shouldn't be on. You can start trying to get pregnant on it. Once you know you're pregnant, you should definitely switch. But if you plan to get pregnant and you're on one, go ahead and switch now and get your dose st- you know, steady at one that is pregnancy safe. Then you don't have to think about it because a lot of times we don't know we're pregnant until we're like mm-hmm. a month past our period or whatever. So yeah, if you're on the antidepressant and you go off and then you do lapse back into depression, we know that that can affect women, you know, their self-care, their nutrition, even whether they get prenatal care, because you know, if you feel really, really down, you know, eat as well. Mm-hmm. You might not want to go see to your OB or midwife appointment. Um, it can affect your decision making. So um, the better thing is to stay on. If you are on one and you're not pregnant yet, but you just you're just like, I don't want to be on a medication when I'm pregnant if I can absolutely help it. You can always take a few months and try some natural alternatives to the antidepressant. And then if you feel really steady on those, make sure, again, those are ones that are safe during pregnancy, which I have a whole article on this over at my website, like whole article on antidepressants and pregnancy. I'll link this. Okay. I'll link all that. Yeah. What are the safe alternatives that you can do instead? And then if you enter pregnancy and you just don't like how the antidepressant feels, there's no medical risk in discontinuing it in terms of like the medication risk. It's just how you feel. And the other thing is that if you tend to struggle with depression, Staying on it is a nice way to preempt postpartum depression. I was about too. to say, because I can't imagine yeah. navigating that with all the hormones that are happening anyway. Yeah. And it's not zero risk. I mean, there are some things to know about being on an antidepressant in pregnancy, even the safe ones. But from all the studies that have been done, being on one for depression outweighs being off one and struggling with depression if you need one. Yeah. That may, I would think that would make sense. Um, okay. If someone had a C-section and they'd like to do a vaginal birth, which is called what, a VBAC, correct? Yep. Vaginal birth after cesarean. Exactly right. Are there any recommendations during pregnancy to help prepare your body for giving birth? Hmm. You know, I would say, while yes, there are some for giving birth, I mean, for preparing your body, I just want to mention that For a lot of women who had a previous C-section, particularly if it was an emergency, there can be a lot of anxiety and fear and kind of worries about, is that going to happen to me again? Mm. There can be some trauma that women need to unpack. So it's optimal to try to do that either before you get pregnant again or during Mm -hmm. the pregnancy, you know, talk with your midwife about it journal about it. There are some great therapists out there who do work around prenatal trauma to help unpack some of Mm. that stuff before you go into labor again. 
And then from a physical standpoint, it's not really different whether you had a cesarean before or a vaginal birth before or have never given birth before. You still want to have really good nutrition. You want to walk every day, do things that like help you feel fit and energized. And then you can still do the red raspberry leaf tea. Dates. I'm a big fan, red dates. I was just going to say, I'm a big fan of the red dates. Mm-hmm. I have a really nice article about herbs for labor over at my website too. So I can give you all those links, but um, four red dates a day, they can be medjool, they can be deglet, um, they can be you know, jujube dates. Um, but the data really is quite exceptional for reducing the, uh, well, actually showing up if you're going to have a hospital birth, the study has been on, on hospital birth, showing up at the hospital, more dilated and um, having an easier labor, shorter labor. So cool. All good. I mean, I love dates. To me, dates I love are like dates anyway. Yeah. And the other cool thing about dates is sometimes when people will say to me, well, but aren't they like filled with sugar? And interestingly, they are. They're like very sugary, but there hasn't been any concern that's shown up in the medical literature about them actually increasing blood sugar. So I just say like the one caveat is if you do have gestational diabetes, you know, talk with your midwife or OB about it or family doctor about it, whoever's helping you with your pregnancy and birth, but they're, they're not considered a sugar risk problem, which is cool. Cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. And you can eat them whole or you can throw them in a smoothie or I've got this amazing, oh, it's so good. This, um, dark chocolate tahini fudge recipe <gasps> that's made just with dates. I'll give you the link. I love tahini and I love dark so chocolate good. and I love dates. That's like my oh my favorite gosh. sweet snack. You will love this. It takes like two minutes to make it Great. and you pop it in the fridge and it gets hard. And just, Yeah, oh, so that's, that's all. I don't really have any cravings, but I want dates with like walnut butter and dark chocolate. Oh yeah, that's you'll love it. That's been my like go-to. That's a good healthy treat. Yeah, because I'm really trying not to. I mean, like last night I had M and M's, like peanut. I was like, I need a peanut M and M, but that's only happened. Actually, what are your thoughts on cravings? Because I feel like I've been very upset that I've grown up my whole life thinking I'm supposed to turn into like some slob who's like a slave to cravings. This like made up narrative that I have to be like this like gross sloth is honestly like bothered me a lot. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of sort of images of pregnant women as very childish or succumbing to like, you know, I need two ice cream cones at three o'clock in the morning and the pickles. It's very 1950s. Mm -hmm. Lucy. You know, very like, I love Lucy. Yes. The pickles in the the chocolate shake. Yeah. And I think she had, I think she had Ricky Ricardo go out and get ice cream at some crazy hour, which of course in New York you could do. (laughs) Um, So I feel like, a few things about cravings. One is if you're having a craving for some peanut M&Ms and your diet is otherwise healthy, I follow the same rule yeah, in pregnancy so as outside. I call it the 95-5 rule. Mm-hmm. If you're eating really well 95% of the time, pretty much you could eat anything 5% of the time. If you have gestational diabetes or diabetes, maybe that's different. But even then you can give yourself a little leeway. We also know that people who allow themselves to like indulge in that craving. I'm doing air quotes here, you guys. <laughs> to indulge in that craving tend to actually binge out less because they're satisfied. Mm. So I just think go for it as long as it's not something that's off the rails and you're eating a modest amount of it. But double check if you're having cravings frequently um, or they're overwhelming and they're not for healthy things. Is there something healthy that your body's needing? So for example, if you're just 
really fatigued and exhausted and you're not getting enough protein and good quality fat that's going to sustain your energy and you're out running around, you're going to want something quick to get your blood sugar back up. So if it's just like, I have a taste for something, enjoy the something. If it's a pattern, then check what might be missing that you need. I have enjoyed allowing myself to have m M&M, and I mean, because I'm like, oh, what did I have for lunch today? I had black beans with with romaine lettuce and pumpkin seeds and hemp seeds. And then I had for dinner, I had like a really yummy chicken. Like I was like, everything was so good. And I would, and then I've been drinking like a big thing of sparkling water with lemon at night to digest. And I was like, I want some, I want some M&Ms. And I was like, and I fucking deserve those M&Ms and I'm going to enjoy them. And that's fine. But I've had so many friends that are like very triggered by my healthy eating habits during my pregnancy and are just like, this is your time to like, let go and lean in. And I'm the only way that I have energy and that I'm not to honestly have any sort of depression. I'm actually like the happiest I've been in a long time is because I feel like I'm working out and eating healthy. It's allowing my body to function properly. I can't imagine having all this weight and heaviness and hormones and sleeping a lot and eating poorly. I wouldn't get anything done. Well, you know, it's interesting because the other thing that's really like this very 1950s concept is eating for two. Yeah, and but technically, she's two pounds. <laughs> well, and technically, it's not true at all. Like by the end of a pregnancy with one baby in there, you only need like 300 more calories a day mm-hmm. than you needed before you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Now, breastfeeding, that's an interesting one. I could eat, I don't know why I always say like a truck driver, because I don't actually know how much <laughs> truck drivers eat, but like, like a cowboy, I could eat so much. I was pregnant and breastfeeding at one point and I had been to a birth and I was meeting my husband out for dinner after the birth. And I remember ordering, I ate a whole dinner. We went to this lovely little like organic foods restaurant. This was back, you know, 30 years ago. And I ate the whole dinner and then I ordered a second dinner and the waiter was like, <laughs> are you, do you want that for takeout? And I'm like, no. no. <laughs> it was like this teeny little thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. I hear that you get super hungry when you're breastfeeding because your metabolism is just working so hard to produce the milk. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I guess not everybody does, but a lot of us do get very... I've heard hungry. a lot of that recently, which nobody ever told me before. Like, oh, wait till mm-hmm. she comes. You're going to be starving when you're breastfeeding. And I was like, I had no clue. Yeah, just stay ahead of it, you know, and let your body go for it because you're going to be burning up that energy feeding her. Yeah. For him. Her. 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 Carmella. For sure. (laughs) Oh, I love that. It's my husband's mom's name. Oh. Okay, this is one that I'm sure you've answered 100,000 times. Um, I'm answering it again. Hormones and acne. Ah, <laughs> just have a blog. I have an article coming out on it Saturday. So do you have a specific angle on it or just sort of like what causes it? What can you do? Um, a lot. I feel like a lot of people are like go on and off the pill and like, especially for me personally, and, and this is two of the questions that were written in like, if you've got, I've gone on spironolactone, which I know can is great for acne, but can kind of wreak havoc on a lot of things in your body. So if you want to get off all that stuff and kind of start regulating your hormones, which I know is hard to give a general answer for this, but if there is anything that cardinal rules people could follow. Yeah, no, I'm really happy to talk about it. So there are a few different kinds of acne, right? So there's the hormonal acne that happens premenstrually, which 
know, I was just writing this article the other day, like we think acne is this teenager thing, but mm-hmm. about half of all women in their 20s and 30s are still struggling with I it. I didn't get and it until I was about, 25. Yeah. And then like 25% of women in their 40s are struggling mm-hmm. with it. And so there's, there's that cyclic hormonal acne, which tends to come premenstrually. And we think of it as hormonal and it is, but right before we have our moon time, right before we bleed, we have more inflammation naturally. Like our inflammatory processes go up. And if you already have more inflammation, it's thought that that inflammation may be part of what's triggering or worsening acne. Mm. The other thing is that premenstrually, we get a little bit more androgens, a little bit more testosterone, and that can cause more acne, especially around the chin area and like under the chin and the neck and that whole like beard area is what mm-hmm. I always call it or where men get beards. So that's like the premenstrual acne. And then there's also um, PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. And that women who have that can also have a flare before their period, but they may have acne all cycle long, all, you know, like all menstrual cycle long, all month long, not just premenstrually. And that does have to do with those increased androgens, that testosterone, which we think of as a male hormone, but we have it too. Mm-hmm. And women with PCOS are more sensitive to it. So their skin gets really activated by it. So that can happen just normally premenstrually. The, um, the androgens cause more sebum to build up in the glands. And then that inflammation causes it to get more red. And weirdly, that right before your period, that not only do the glands get more full of sebum, but they get more constricted. So a few things that you can do. One is if you do have PCOS, but even if not, keeping your blood sugar really steady Mm -hmm. throughout your cycle is important because it helps one, that elevated blood sugar can cause more androgens. Um, Keeping inflammation down is really important through you know, a lot of, you don't have to be vegan or vegetarian, but a largely plant-based diet where, you know, fish is a good component of it. Eating seeds throughout your cycle. I don't think you have to seed cycle, but just making sure that you're getting sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, healthy, you know, good quality fats. Those are all really important to um, have that hormone balance. PCOS is a little bit more complex. Um, I think so it's so kind of, common now. It is really common. It's like one in eight women. Is there, what's that? I mean, there's so much going on environmentally. There's so much going on. Yeah, so many inflammation. And interestingly, like now studies are showing that it's something that is triggered when we hit puberty, but we may have already gotten a setup when our moms were pregnant with us by their exposure Mm -hmm. to blood sugar imbalances or inflammation. Same with endometriosis. There may be a setup before we're even born, which is crazy to think about. But I think Mm -hmm. it's important to acknowledge that because I think a lot of women, especially if you're already in the wellness space and you're eating well and you're doing all the right things and then you're struggling with this, you're like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? Or what more could I possibly do? And what's wrong with me? And you can just turn yourself inside out and like get so clean that you become restrictive when this was set in motion like dominoes, you know, before Before you were even out in the world. Yeah. So, you know, being gentle and kind with ourselves. There are some botanical things that women can do. Um, nutritional supplements, for example, we know that um, vitamin B6 can be really helpful for premenstrual acne, um, really phenomenal. We think of it for morning sickness, but it's great for PMS, great for premenstrual Wait, B6 acne. is good for morning sickness? Yeah, B6 for morning sickness. Mm-hmm. I have not heard that yet. 
Yeah, it's like a classic. It's even medically, like, doctors even use it. It's so well, well documented. How come I've never, that's so I odd. Know. I have so many friends who are struggling and they're like, nobody's telling me anything I can do. Yeah. He said, well, look, if I had even a penny for every time someone asked me about morning sickness and I had something <laughs> that worked all the time, I would own an island next to Richard Branson. <laughs> but um, it can help for sure. Um, so yeah, and then... Does vitamin A work? So vitamin A rich foods can be really helpful. You know, vitamin A is like where the retinoids come from for things like retinoic acid. Yeah, or, that's why I, there's a facialist I follow who's always like, take it a few days before your period, not the whole yeah, month, so but a few I days before. I recommend you can take it as a nutritional supplement. I do recommend the beta carotenes or you can just bump up your vitamin A rich foods. Like a sweet potato has something like 1200 milligrams mm-hmm. of, of the plant-based form, which is great. Orange foods. Orange foods, but not so much citrus, more like apricots and cantaloupe. And citrus has a little, but cantaloupe, apricots, squashes, really carrots, spinach carrots too, squash. actually. Oh, good. Which is not orange, but... Coffee and wine during pregnancy. So wine, I just say don't. I know that there's controversy over whether a, you know French women have a little bit. We definitely know that there's no known lowest amount of alcohol that's safe in pregnancy. So I feel like if we don't know and the stakes are really high, just don't do it. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have, if you are going to have any, you know, if you're going to have like a few sips of red wine or white wine or whatever, just absolutely don't do it knowingly in the first trimester. Look, if you got pregnant and you didn't know and you had a glass of wine, your baby is not going to be born with three heads, but Mm -hmm. avoid doing it if you can. Um, Later on, I'm just 100% no on it. With coffee, you know, it can affect your sleep. It can make you feel agitated. There's definitely going to be some caffeine that gets through to the baby. The upper limit is considered 150 milligrams of caffeine a day, which is about the equivalent of like a small, like four ounce cup of coffee, which is fine, or some green tea. But I would say keep it to one if you're having it because you're exhausted, make sure you're actually getting rest and not using it to, mm-hmm. you know, avoid resting. If you're using it to go to the bathroom because you can't poop without it, probably a good idea to increase Eat your, your fiber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I have an espresso but, in the morning and I have it with fat in my coffee right. and collagen and it helps me feel normal and start my day, but I'm sleeping through the night and I'm going to the bathroom regularly because I'm taking magnesium every night and I'm eating so much fiber. So I, I haven't felt like I'm using it as like a bridge for something that's missing. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're having a small amount. I think espresso, because it's the really dark roast also has less caffeine. It has way than, less caffeine. Yeah. Than. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, but I didn't someone drink it that. before. I'm so caffeine sensitive and someone told uh, me that. you are. And yeah, I'm so, someone told me that it was way less caffeine and, you know, we've been in Italy, we've been in Cuba, we've been in Spain. People drink it all day after dinner. My so husband drinks one after one dinner. At, yeah, I had one at seven o'clock based on this. It has much less caffeine. <laughs> I was up all night. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, he has one after. He's like, it helps me digest. I'm like, okay, I don't know what. But it probably does, right? It's so bitter that it's great for getting the liver activated and that gets your bowels moving. So it's his his Italian rules that don't apply to me are he's allowed to do whatever he wants. I'm like, you have a different body than I do. <laughs> um, okay. Last one, which I'm actually happy somebody asked this cause I never ask this and this is probably something I need to know. 
Do you have any recovery advice for, for postpartum? Postpartum. You know, mm-hmm. I want to just emphasize that our bodies know how to heal. And given the right kind of nurturance, hopefully you won't need any quote unquote recovery. If you've had, mm-hmm. not you, I don't want to like put this on you, but if someone's had a cesarean or more interventive birth, then we have to remember they're not just recovering from having a baby. They're recovering from, from major, surgery. major surgery or vaginal repair, you know, tear, perineal tear, um, that there may need a little extra healing time. But I do really feel strongly that every culture has some postpartum rituals or practices or traditions for new moms. And that usually incorporates eating very nourishing food. So it's not really a time where in any culture people would do like a juice fast or, I mean, if you, if you want juice, great. If you want salads, great. But typically it's a time for warm, nourishing foods that first 30 days after being less out in the public and being more, which COVID kind of allows us mm-hmm. to have permission to do, but being more at home, kind of creating a sanctuary for yourself. Keep up your prenatal vitamins so that you get those n- nutrients. I'm a huge fan of postpartum herbal baths. They've been a ritual okay. that I've done mm-hmm. for my my midwifery clients for it's going on 37 years now. I love But that. that's when you get the okay from your doctor to take a bath, right? Yeah. I mean, if you haven't had a cesarean and you haven't had an episiotomy with a tear or a repair they're a hundred percent fine. And so, but yeah, get confirmation. It's always good to get confirmation from your midwife or your provider. If you've had a C-section, then it's usually better to wait a little bit. And then if you've had a perineal laceration or, you know, torn when babies come out or had an episiotomy been repaired in my practice, I do use them, but you want to make sure that the herbs are really strained out. So there's no particles that can get, you know, Mm. up in the stitches and then become a source for infection. So check with your midwife or, or um, OB or family doctor, whoever's helping you on that. And ice then, packs. Ice <laughs> packs are, oh yeah, like the basic ice packs, like just like normal, regular recoveries of ice packs are great. And even if you've had just like a little bit, we call them skid marks as midwives, but like you haven't had a tear, but there's like a little abrasion along the inside of the labia. It burns mm-hmm. like a mofo when you pee. I yeah. mean, it just burns. So I know everyone keeps telling me that was one of the horror stories. Everyone's like, wait till you go to the bathroom. Well, after it's not birth. a horror story, but totally, <laughs> totally get a Perry bottle. You can get like, there are these great bottles now that have like a, a like a, a little squeeze bottle thing. with the spray. And there are even ones that spray upside down. Put some herbal bath tea in there. You can get recipes on my website. You can put just a little bit of di- very diluted like you know, eight ounces of water and then just like a little pinch of sea salt, shake it up really well. Mm. And then don't wait till after you pee as you're like, even before you start to pee, squeeze it on your bottom. So like, it's just like a stream of water going down there and like feels really mm-hmm. cool. And then you don't have the burning as much. And then uh, you keep up your fiber, your hydration so that you poop easily after. I think a lot of women are sort of like, you just push a baby out and now they're like, oh my God, I have to poop. I don't want to push again. Um, but to- was, was, my whole friend wrote a long email being like my first poop. <laughs> That's like hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah. And don't like, put any pressure on yourself as a new mom, just roll with it. You know, breastfeeding may come really easily. It may take a little more work. You may need support. It's all, it's all in the realm of, of normal needing that, again, that intergenerational help that we 
don't have, but also like a lot of our moms didn't breastfeed their babies. My mom didn't. Mm. Like I was the generation that started to again. So even though our moms might be there, they might not know the healing things. Yeah. And then like in terms of like things like eating placenta, I mean, that's such a personal choice. I recommend not doing it if you've had medication during the birth. You probably can because very little gets through the placenta. I'm such a purist about that. If you had group B strep, then you don't. What type of medication during birth? What do you mean? If you've had had an epidural or Pitocin. Then you shouldn't have your placenta. Technically you can, but I don't. I'm like, well, then you're getting the some of the medication, but it's a pretty negligible amount. I'm a bit of a purist about it, but you can if you want to. And yeah, rest a lot. The placenta really helps with obviously nourishment, right? But I also heard that it can help with uh, regulating your mood. There's a lot of controversy. It's, It's really funny, Pia, because the first written documentation in any book about eating placenta after birth is actually my postpartum book from like 1997. Yeah. It was just really (laughs) funny. And then in more recent years, I think like, it's actually not technically a traditional practice in China for postpartum women to eat it. And very few Mm -hmm. uh, mammals do eat it. Um, Carnivores do, but most um, vegetarian mammals don't, but some the carnivores like gorillas don't eat it. Most of the prime, sorry, I should say the primates don't eat it, but other mammals that are carnivores eat it, but the primates mm-hmm. don't. I don't know about orangutans. They're kind of weird. They may, but, uh, or chimpanzees, one of those that are a little more aggressive. So traditionally, it's not a practice that women did postpartum. It's more for menopause, interestingly. And since it's become more popular, there have been a little bit of studies. Some say it's beneficial. Some say it doesn't. Some women say they felt like it contributed to to like breast milk problems. Some say it was great. It's just like, if you want to dry it, have it, try it, see if it feels right to you. I love doing some kind of a ritual with the placenta. My first two babies, I buried it. And then with my last two babies, I actually dried the capsule. I dried it and then I put some of it in capsules, but I wasn't really inspired to take it. It just, I was a vegan at the time and eating it just tasted like meat to me. Like I would just like felt like I was. Yeah. I feel I, like I, if like you're if and the context like, too, if you're yeah, vegan, it didn't I feel, feel like... right to me. So I ultimately did a beautiful ritual at a river and poured the rest of it in the river. So nice. Yeah. That's so funny that I, I thought it was like every woo woo girl's go obvious go to is eating, eating their placenta. placenta. <laughs> I didn't. That's so, it's so, it's so cool to hear a different opinion. And the lotus birth is so popular now. Actually, uh, lotus birth is where you don't cut the cord. You just let the cord fall off naturally. Oh yeah. I wish I could do that. I can't do that because I'm doing cord blood. Can I honestly tell you, I think it's a total pain because you're trying to hold your baby. And actually it's, it's funny. My mentor was friends with the woman who came up with the concept of lotus birth. I have a beautiful gift from her up here on my shelf, but um, you're trying to already like figure out how to hold and breastfeed your baby. And now you've got this umbilical cord going into a a giant with a placenta that's rotting and you're just like (laughs) (laughs) it's so annoying like okay you have enough to work with this is not actually a traditional practice either it's not and ask for help like ask for help i think that's probably the most important recovery thing is just ask for help rest when Mm -hmm. the baby rests you don't have to be a super person Mm -hmm. hydrate a lot a lot of water I'm so bad at drinking water. 
Thank you so much for this. This is so helpful. This is so sweet. I love talking with you. It's really <laughs> nice. I'm so excited for you. You too. Thank you. I wish we lived closer. I know. Well, you know what? I've been planning to spend a few months in California and I was hoping to be out there for three months this year, but oh, your daughter's guess what? Anyway. life had other plans for our planet. <laughs> Yes, my mm-hmm. daughter's there. So I love, it's one of my favorite places. I was just watching a movie the other night. Um, Enough Said with, uh, what is it? Julia Louise Dreyfus. Oh, it's yes. Really cute romantic comedy. I'm like, I want to be in Santa Monica. <laughs> it's nice. It's beautiful. It's, we have two days of rain tomorrow and then it's summer. So, <laughs> it's so pretty there. It is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to share this with the world. Thank you. Have a good rest of your evening. You too. Bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.